Beautiful, thank you. We're in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. This morning is a little bit different than, uh, than what we have done in the past. If we want to communicate some uh, information about vision and some updates in, in uh, the life and the planning and of the church as we have stepped forward, and we want to take some time during the worship service this morning to do that. And so hopefully in the uh, time that is remaining before, uh, before noon, we're going to both hear a sermon and then take some time to, uh, to hear some of that that I think hopefully will flow out of it and into it as we uh, together think about the direction and the future of the church in the coming months and years. We're in chapter 3 of Philippians. I'm going to go ahead and read. I have down Philippians 3.10, which is the text out of which the sermon will largely come, but I would like to read the context. So I'm going to read starting in verse 4, down through about 13, 14. Hear then the word of God. Paul says that, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in order that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all of this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have made it my own, but there's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We have gathered as your people. We have gathered to give you our worship. We have gathered to sit at your feet to learn of you. We have gathered because apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. And so, Father, as we sit this morning under the teaching of your word, would you draw near and give us eyes to see and ears to hear that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. So we've dubbed today Vision Sunday because we're going to talk about some strategic planning that we've done, some strategic focuses that we have arrived at, some initiatives that we're looking to already start this year to begin to work some of that out as we look toward the future, give you a couple of updates of things that you need to know. Uh, But both this passage and our planning really are about the basics of discipleship. In other words, we don't the, the, the plans that we have, the, the initiatives that we want to take are all about 
what this passage, I believe, what Philippians 3.10 really is, I want to pull out of there some things this morning, are all about, which are just the basics of the gospel and basics of Christian discipleship. What it means to be faithful followers and servants of Christ in His kingdom. See, this passage is all about where Paul has been. And it's all about where Paul is going. Right? We see that in the, in the stretch of this from verse 4 where he talks about his, his resume and his past and what he, what he was and what he did and, and things that he says. If anybody has reason for boasting, the things that I took pride in, the things that were important to me. He talks about where he has been. He invites us to follow him to where he is going because he shares sort of a big picture vision of the Christian life because where he has been is not where, he's not where he is now and it's not where he wants to be going and it's not where he's headed. So he looks back to say this is where we've been but he gives this vision, uh, he shares this vision with the church. He's writing to uh, the church in Philippi. So he's writing to this church sharing his sort of experience and his uh, history, where he's been and where he's going to invite the church to invite Philippi, the church in Philippi, to invite the Philippians, to invite us, Hicks and Prez, to share this vision with him, to follow him as he strains ahead after Jesus. Right? And that encapsulates his life, where I've been. And, and all these things, he says, are rubbish. Life before Christ was in his life. Right? B.C., before Christ. Right? We all have a B.C. So as he shares his B.C. Before Jesus, he says, all of it was rubbish. It was all about me. It was all about my resume. It was all about what I could do. It was all about you know, what I accomplished. It was all about myself and my ego and all of this kind of stuff. And he says, all of it is rubbish when I met Jesus. So when I met Jesus, right, that's verses 7 to 9, I met Jesus all that stuff that was important to me. He says, whatever gain I had, all that stuff I just told you about, he says, that stuff is garbage. I lost it all. I lose it all. I give it all up. I forsake it all. I don't want it all. I hate it all. For the sake of Jesus, I met Jesus and he changed everything. The awesome privilege, he says, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 8, right? The surpassing worth, the awesome privilege of knowing Jesus as my Lord changes everything. And he celebrates this freedom, the forsaking of the confidence that he had in himself and in his resume to put it all aside, he says, to gain something else, a righteousness that is not my own, of my own doing and my own making and my own working, but a righteousness that is mine by faith in Christ. be found in Christ is his great goal. And so in verse 10, as he says all of that, to be found in him, not having this righteousness of my own, it comes by faith from God that depends on faith, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, that I become like him or conformable to his death, so I may share in his resurrection. He has this new set of desires, right? This is a personal, sort of powerful expression of desires that Paul has. What what rises out of this experience of meeting Jesus and forsaking his old life and his old self and finding a new self in Christ, and he says, there's these desires that rise out of it, new ones, born of the Spirit, born of, of following Jesus. 
He says he wants three things. And these three things, these desires, are the marks of the new birth. Right? A person who has been born again in Christ, who is a new person in Christ, has new desires, new hungers, new passions that flow from the life of the Spirit that Christ gives us. And he, and he says in these desires that he has that have been birthed out of this meeting of Jesus and the change of his life, these, these, desi- these desires, they move past the facts. Right? That's what verse 10 does. In, in, in the rest of it, he's been listing stuff. But in verse 10, he moves past the facts. And he moves down into a personal knowing, an experiential power, a real sharing and fellowship with Jesus in a life of ministry and suffering. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to grow in his spiritual life and he wants to go on with Jesus in gospel mission. I believe that's what verse 10 is saying. Let me kind of unpack that for us and and take a look at it for ourselves. Because after this, he says, this is what it means to be conformed to his death so that we may share in his resurrection. In other words, this is the the, to follow the way of Jesus and the way of the cross. <clears throat> so in verse 10 he says, that I may know him. All this other stuff, that I may know him. This is a man, Paul. This is a guy who talked to the resurrected Jesus and had a literal verbal conversation with him about his ministry about who he was, who he was, and what Jesus wanted to accomplish in him, right? This is a man on the road to Damascus who spoke to Jesus. This is a man who had such exalted visions of Jesus and the truth and what he did and what he accomplished that he could write all, you know, half or two-thirds of our, of our New Testament or whatever portion it is, a big portion, you know, that he has these exalted visions of, of, of all of this and he could write it that, that God had to give him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble for all that he saw and knew as an apostle. This is a man who understood and knew who Jesus is such that he could pen Colossians chapter 1. It's in your bulletin there. It's Paul who wrote to the Colossian church and he said, He, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. Jesus is the Creator God. In heaven, all things that were created in heaven and earth, whether they're visible or invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through Jesus and for Jesus. And He's before all things. He exists before the world. He exists before anything comes into being. And in him, all things hold together. He is a sustainer of the creation that he burst into existence by the power of his own word. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He is the, the risen one who was dead and now is alive, that in everything he might have the preeminence. For in him, all the fullness of God dwells. And through him, he's reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of the cross. Right? This is the one that Paul says, Jesus, the surpassing greatness, the awesome privilege of knowing Jesus, this Jesus, my Lord. He understood. Paul knows who Jesus is. He understood his own identity in Christ too. 
Right? He understands his positional righteousness. Isn't that what he's defining in verses 4 through you know, 9? His, his positional righteousness, the righteousness we have by faith. His position in Christ, his, his salvation. Right? Paul understands and describes these things fully. But despite all of this knowledge of Jesus and who he is and what he has done and listing the facts and listing the things that are out there, Paul could still, despite all of this that, he's been, that he knows and been given, and he, next to all of it, he can just simply express his hunger. I want to know him. I want to know him. And I believe the knowing that he's talking about here is, goes beyond the facts. It goes beyond the list that he just gave in Colossians 1. It goes beyond what he just said about who Christ is. And it moves in because I think what he says next and what he says next and then what he says that he hasn't attained it and he's still pressing into it. I think that he is, he is, he's talking about something he doesn't have in its fullness yet. He says, I want to know him. This Jesus in whom I find righteousness, who makes me right with God and sets me free from my sin. He expresses this yearning to know the person of Jesus. Do you think of Jesus as a person? Is he a person to you? Is God a person? Is he personal? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit and we speak in terms of it. It's a mistake. The New Testament always refers to the Holy Spirit as He. And there's a difference, in, just like in English and the Greek. Always He. Always He. He's a person. Jesus is a, he's a, he's a person. A real person. Not a set of ideas. Not a list of accomplishments. He's a living person. And so the question is, do we have a relationship? With Jesus? Do we have this hunger that Paul has? After all that I know about him, I want to know him. I, I want to be in communication, direct and personal communication with him. I want to hear his voice. I want to pour out my heart to him. I want to walk with him. I want to have daily communion with a person who speaks to me and who, who I speak to and I fellowship with and I know and love and serve and bow the knee. He is my Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? A personal king to whom you owe allegiance and service and holiness. Do you know him and follow him and walk with him and serve him? Do you have Paul's new desire and core passion to know his Savior? And Jesus, more than once, says that one of the great things on that day that will be a disappointment to many is he will say, I never knew you. And they'll say, but wouldn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And didn't we do this? Or didn't I know this list of facts about you and all that you accomplished? And I acknowledge that they were true. And Jesus says, for all those things, he says, I never knew you. The core passion of the believing heart that is born again of the Spirit of Christ is we want to know Him. I want to know Him today and I want to know Him tomorrow and I want to worship Him and give my heart to Him and I want to talk to Him and I want Him speaking into my life and challenging me and calling me and stretching me and changing me. Do you want to know Him? See, the next two things we're going to talk about here are impossible if you don't. You've got to start there. 
You've got to want to know Jesus. It's one of the driving, motivating forces of your life in your day and in your week and in your month and in your year as you make your commitments for the next year, as you think about your schedule and your time, what you do with your thought life and all of these things. The driving thing is, do you want to know Jesus? Is that what governs all of it? Right? Is that the power? See, the other two things here are impossible because the next thing he says is, I want to know and you have to carry no over, I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection in his daily existential experience. See, because again, Jesus, Paul already knows the facts of the resurrection. He teaches them with regularity. He writes whole books about them in letters to people to tell you all about the historical facts of the resurrection, what Jesus did, the hope of the resurrection, the implications of the resurrection, what Jesus accomplished in his resurrection and how I share in his righteousness through his death and his resurrection. And I stand in that. And so Paul knows all the facts about it. But when all is said and done, he says, I want to know the power of it. Do you see the difference? And I, it was, I think it was J.I. Packer in his theology classes and I was studying with him and he would always say, it's one thing to know the truth. It's a whole other thing to know the power of the truth to change everything. And sometimes we settle for the truth and the truth can lay cold and dead and passive. Paul doesn't want to just know the truth. In fact, he knows the truth better than you or I. He, he's the one who writes these things and he says, but I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection in my own daily experience. I want to know it existentially. It's what he wants to know now in his daily life. He wants to be different. He wants to be growing. He wants to be godly. He wants to be like Jesus. He wants to express his character. He wants to bear the fruits of the Spirit. He wants to be useful in ministry. He wants the power of the resurrection manifest in his life. Paul wants to want the right things. He wants to want the right things. He wants to live a life of obedience. He wants to bear fruit. He wants his heart and his mind Raised from the dead, he wants to be alive to God in Christ in such a way that it is the life-shaping power of his life to live. What he wants is to live for Christ. I don't know about you, I've been following Jesus for 30 years. And even though I'm a pastor, my conscious, fueled passion to live for Christ has risen and waned, come and gone. I get distracted. It's easy to do church. It's easy to get busy in programs. It's easy to get your nose into the grind. It's easy to fall into the American dream. I love the, the book Radical. I don't go with everything on Radical. I, there, there are things in there that I'm, uh, you know, but I love it because it is that whole thing, taking our faith back from the American dream. What does it mean to live for Jesus Christ? You know, and not for the American dream, for, for our retirement and our comfort and what we can secure and develop for ourselves. What does it mean to follow Christ, to be full of the power of his resurrection? Romans 6, 4, he writes it this way in one of his great treatises on the resurrection. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, right? The resurrection. Just as Christ was raised, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might know and experience the power of the resurrection in a way that changes and shapes our lives. So in Romans he says, so that we too might walk 
in newness of life. In Philippians, Paul says, I want to. I want to. I want to. I want this power. I want this, whatever it means. I want it. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes and says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. See, to know him in such a way that the resurrection is at work within us, and the old is going, and the new is coming. Or Ephesians 4, 22-24, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, all that stuff B.C., all that stuff that isn't, you know, that is a distraction. The old self is being corrupted because it's deceitful desires for the things of this world, the loves of this world. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds to be full of new desires. And so to put on a new self. Created, he says, right? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness of life. Life that's not just morally pure, but, but set apart for different purposes. You know, the holiness of things meant that it was, it was taken from a common use to a holy use. We say that as we baptize People will say, you know, set apart this water from a common use to a, a holy use. The water in there is used for, for one thing, so to speak. Or when we use the bread or the cup, you know, it's set apart from what we normally do with it for something different. Every utensil in the temple in the Old Testament, you know, the, 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 the temple of Solomon with all the gold implements and everything was sprinkled with blood and set apart as holy. That ladle, that's used in the temple only. It's God's ladle. It's used for scooping Temple stuff, service in the, in, 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 of God, in worship, that laver, that table, that candelabra, those things, they were all set apart, made holy to serve him. Right? And the new self, that's, that's us, a people of God, a, a kingdom of priests. Set apart for him and his purposes and his kingdom and what he's doing and what he wants to do. Not just forensically holy, right? As we say, I am, because that's positional, you know, that in Christ I am righteous. That's, that's by faith and it's positional and, and I have it and it's mine by faith in Jesus and he gives it to me. But what Paul is talking about here is I want to put on, I want to clothe myself with this new self, this new self created implanted in me by the seed and the spirit of God, a new self that is created to be like him, like God himself in the image of God in righteousness and holiness. I want to put this new self on, clothe myself with it in in real life. Hearts and lives clothed in a growing godliness, growing desires and motives and attitudes, sacrifice and obedience. Right, moving from infancy, putting on this new self and putting off the old self and moving toward maturity in Christ. Changing, growing, maturing, transforming. Paul wants to be a growing man. That's what I hear him saying. This is where he's, where he's talking about this picture of his life, of who I was, and, and then I met Jesus, and then where am I now? I'm a bundle of de- new desires. And I know I haven't attained it all yet, and we'll talk about that, right? Either that I press on and I strain forward, he says, but now I'm this bundle of new desires. I want to know Christ and I want to grow. I want power of a new life. Are you growing? 
Are you maturing? Are you more godly? Are your motives purer? Are your attitudes more right and biblical and good? Are you more loving and gentle and patient and kind? Are you more sold out for his kingdom, more passionate for the gospel, more alive to God? Are you growing? Do you know the power of the resurrection? And then the question comes, and this is a real question, my friends. We really have to own it. Do you want to know the power of the resurrection? Because, guys, what they describe here, what Paul describes here, what God describes here, is radically different from what most of us are living, from what many of us are living. What Paul describes here is a, is, is a life turned upside down in its priorities in life. You know, almost to the point, as he says, to despise this life for the life that is to come. In other words, to live for Christ, to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. You know, to put my hand to the plow and not look back, to sell everything I have and buy the pearl of great price, right? You know, and on and on the list goes as Jesus says, you know, it's going to mess everything up, right? If you really want this, if you start to say, I really do want to know Jesus and press in to know him, and I really do want to know the power of a new life, and you press in to know it and plead for it and and ask for it and to seek the fullness of his spirit and a changed life, do you really want it? Because your life is going to have to change, and we are pretty comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable. I am, I kind of like, don't rock my boat. It will mess with our lives. It will rock our world. You know, we say, you know, there's that whole thing, you know, are you guys ready for change? Yeah. And then you change something. You say, oh, I didn't know you meant that. You know, there's that whole thing, you know, are we ready for the power and for God to, you know, change our lives? And, you know, oh, I didn't know it meant that. Right? I'm all sold, you know, for this idea of power and life change and, you know, following Jesus. And as long as it doesn't mean, you know, you mess with my status quo. And my, you, mean it, you mean my ch- schedule might have to change? You mean I might have to say no to other things to say yes to these things? You mean it might cost me time or money or sacrifice? You mean I might have to give up a Saturday? It might mean I have to do this? It might mean, or do, do you mean, oh, if you mean that, well, you should have said that up front. Do we want to experience his power? Because there's an out-of-controlness. There's an out-of-controlness when you follow Jesus, and we want to live for Jesus Christ. There ought to be a certain level of hold on. Paul, finally, he wants to share in Jesus' suffering. Right? I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. And then he says, I want to share in Jesus' suffering. Does that ever strike you? You ever read that and be like, we just read over that. That's good for you, Paul. <laughs> Not something I've been thinking about this week. You know, really want to share, you know, in fact, expressing it, writing it to other people. You know, I really want to share in the sufferings of Jesus. You know, I don't have enough suffering in my life. I really like this more, Jesus. The word actually means, the word that share in his sufferings is that word, many of you would know it, koinonia. You know, to share in his sufferings, to koinonia, it's the word that we translate as fellowship. And it's a rich word. Of fellowship means it's far more than just like getting together and having dinner, but it's, it's the relationship that happens over the dinner. It's the connection and the knowing each other and caring for each other and getting into each other's lives and speaking truth to each other and bearing one another's burdens. That's fellowship, right? And so it's this rich word, and Paul says, I want to fellowship, 
in his sufferings. Is there any one of you that if I had asked you your, you know, your key desires in life and in your Christian life would have been, I really want to get deep connected you know, into the suffering that comes as a follower of Jesus. Paul seeks, and not only that, in, in chapter 1, verse 29 in, in Philippians, earlier in the same book, he says this. I don't think it made your bulletin, so you can look there. Just listen. He says this. It's been granted to you, O church in Philippi, church of Jesus, gathered ones. You know, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, for his sake and all that he has done for you, not only to believe in him, which is salvation and righteousness, but also to suffer for his sake. Right, do you hear that? It's been granted to you for the sake of Jesus to suffer for his sake. It's, it's, like a, it's almost like he offers it like a gift. And he tries to talk us into it. It's been given to you for the sake of Christ. Now, he's not talking about, so let's just tease this out for a minute and we'll end, <clears throat> end there. He's not talking about sacrificial suffering for sin, that unique suffering that he did in sin-bearing. He's not talking about um, the, the general suffering that you and I experience as normal as a part of life that every human being experiences. He's talking very uniquely, in my opinion, from this text and others, he's talking about suffering for the gospel and the kingdom. It's the unique suffering that belongs to one who seeks to follow Christ in a hostile world. It's one who seeks to follow Christ in a world that is in love with upward mobility and the stuff of this world and worldly security to forsake all things and follow Christ and begin to invest in the world that is to come, which seems foolish in the eyes of this world. He's talking about suffering as those who exhibit and preach, and sacrifice, and give, and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who live out the mission of Jesus will share and fellowship with him in the suffering that comes with that life. A life of pouring yourself out. Paul, at the end of his letter in Timothy, the last letters he's writing, says, I have fought the good fight. I have been poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of God's people, right? I've been poured out. It's that kind of, you know, that kind of suffering. Like I've, my life and my, my worldly goods. It's, it's this, you know, those who seek to live out the mission of Jesus will suffer for the gospel. In 2 Timothy 2, these are listed in your bulletin under the last point. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation. I endure everything. That, that's the suffering he's talking about. I, in, for him, it included many things that you and I would never confront, from shipwreck to snake bit to being stoned to being beaten to being driven out of town, you know, and all the stuff, you know, lower out of, over, out of cities and baskets and, you know, whatever the kind of things the apostles endured. But it's these kind of things. He says, whatever it is I've encountered as I've tried to be faithful to this ministry, I endure all these things. I fellowship in his sufferings, all what for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation. He loved the gospel and he loved the kingdom. He loved God's people and he was on a mission. He had a purpose. It's shaped by this mission, bringing God's people, the elect, into the full experience of their salvation. He was called. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, So therefore I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. In other words, you know, I sacrificed my own personal preferences. 
This is an American thing. We don't like to sacrifice our preferences for the purpose of mission, right? Paul says, if you were one under the law, I became like one under the law. If you were uh, without the law, I became like one without the law. If you were weak and you were over here, I became one who was weak. I have endured all things. I sacrifice all things. I give up my personal preferences because he's one of those or none of those. But he leaves his place of comfort and he goes where they are. Like he, I become all things, right? My preferences don't matter. For the sake of what? The gospel to share that they might share in its blessings. That I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Oh, to be a people who become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. and Not for our own comfort and our own kingdom. The cost of following Jesus. Romans 8, 8, 17, he says this. If we are children then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, it's almost like if, if we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. In other words, if we follow the way of the cross, if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, if we follow as we follow in the mission of Jesus, right, as we are his people, Right, as we are captured by the same passion and vision that he has. As he was sent into the world, so he sends us into the world. And as we are those sent ones. If we live for Jesus, we will share in this way. You know, the declaration, let me just close with this illustration. And I've heard it before. You've probably heard it before. But it, it strikes me as I was thinking about this. I went looking it up. You know, the last sentence of the Declaration of Independence I think this did make the bulletin in there. The very last sentence of the declaration, after they have declared their independence from England, and that that there would be a cost involved. And what we have done is declared our independence, in a sense, from the world, and the way that it lives, and the way that it prioritizes its values, and its whatever. And we have declared our allegiance to another kingdom. And we have pledged. And what have we pledged? And it's interesting, these guys who are not necessarily Christians, and this is not necessarily a Christian enterprise per se, that's debatable, we could argue that, but here's what they said, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, our very lives, our worldly goods, our reputations, we pledge to the cause of independence. Nine of those signers died during the revolution. Seventeen of those signers lost every penny they have in all their property. We pledge our lives, our fortunes, our worldly goods, and our reputations for the cause of liberty. I really believe that that's what In a sense, Paul says here what the New Testament says and what I'm preaching here this morning is this fellowship in his suffering is this, it's, we cannot know him in the power of his resurrection in our lives and fellowship with him in his suffering unless we pledge our lives and our worldly goods and fortunes and our reputations to the cause of Christ and his kingdom. And what cost may be made by us. In some generation, even the New Testament is filled with those who gave and paid the ultimate price. There are those who suffered the loss of all things. 
want to know him. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. And I want a fellowship in the suffering that comes when you live for Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we consider these things as a church, as we look at a new ministry year, and everyone is, is making commitments and signing up and getting busy and, and, and pressing into a fall full of activities and school and stuff. Father, as we gather as your people to consider your call, to consider what it means to, to be made, to be born again, to be a new creation, to put on a new self, Uh, Would you speak to our hearts in life-changing, powerful ways? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.